I just I don't see myself getting cancelled that easily because I just don't see myself as a terrible, fucking horrible human being, you know? like Really? Why not? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> I'm, I'm just joking, man. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Bill's manager, Anand Harsh, also editor-in-chief of TheUnce.com. Today's guest is Haywire, the keyboard whiz who has captured the hearts of glitch hop and future funk fans around the world. This classically trained pianist has toured with Grizz, Zed, Opio, Cohen Sound, Rez, and more, and released some major singles and albums, most notably with Monster Cat. He remixed Bill for Gravitas back in the day, and the pair also produced dress codes together from the album the collaborative endeavors which i know is a favorite of a lot of the beleagal immigrants out there and myself we've got a lot of new listeners to the show coming off of last week's special episode with mimi page and ill gates so let me reset things and give you a lay of the land first of all i do these intros for bill because he hates doing them and having to sell himself however i have no shame so the duties fall to me We are now dropping two episodes a week on Mondays and Thursdays. Subscribers to the Mr. Bill Patreon get episodes a full week before listeners to the free feed. And early access is available to listeners at all subscription levels, even those at the bare bottom tiers. Our podcast producer, Robert, just had a new baby boy last week and managed to edit both episodes that came out including the rush job on our special episodes. So, you know, help us out and subscribe so we can feed him and the baby. Patrons can also get bonus episodes, merch, Discord roles, and so much more. Just head over to patreon.com slash Mr. Bill's Tunes to help feed our growing podcast family. And you'll still be able to listen to the show on your podcatcher of choice. If you want to get on the production level with Haywire and Mr. Bill, go to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up as a hardcore Abletoneer. You get full access to Bill's project files and tutorials, as well as sample packs and other cool shit. All right, let's get to Bill's episode with Haywire. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. cool so how do you how do you uh, usually do this do you just like hit record and just start right off the bat and not save any of the talk for outside of the podcast pretty much yeah cool all so right we, well, we're gonna just start let's do it yeah well fuck i think we've already started actually <laughs> <laughs> um yeah man well i guess first thing is uh thanks for thanks for coming on like thanks for taking the time to do this i know Absolutely, we tried man. to do it a couple of times and then <laughs> for some reason i mean this is I, so i try always when i'm doing these podcasts and i know this is kind of a pain in the ass because uh i don't like people doing this to me at least in the realm of shows but like i try to just contact artists directly who i already know pretty much and be like hey want to want to do a podcast and whenever it seems to go through managers it always seems to get fucked up like for, <laughs> for instance um i tried to do one with zeke beats one day and he was like yeah yeah let me just uh you know get my my managers on like clued into to this and see see if it's all, all good if i do a podcast and i was like 
wait, you have to ask somebody if it's okay <laughs> for you to have a conversation with me. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. And then we were supposed to do it like when we were playing a show together. And then it got to the day of the show and he was like, oh, can we still do it? And I was like, well, no, because I've made other plans now. But um, Well, I mean, I run, uh, I run everything um, that I do um, in my life, like personal and professional, by my management for approval. So I'll wake up in the morning and um, before I shower... I make sure to call my manager and I ask him if I've uh, if I've earned the right to shower yet. And okay. Us- yeah. Usually, if I've finished a song recently, he'll he'll allow it. So he'll, sometimes he'll allow I'll go months. Shower. <laughs> I'll go months without showering. You know, uh, at times I'm at like the ten month marker right now. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. How's how's your quarantine been? Um, the experience has been quite all right for the most part. Um, I think obviously I miss. I guess socializing more and I, I didn't miss it too much initially. I'm not sure how you felt about it, but I guess I'm not the most social person to begin with. And then on top of that, to have that personality trait almost feel a little virtuous or something made me made me feel kind of good about it initially. And now I'm kind of like getting tired of seeing the exact same people all the time and um, feeling pressured to avoid people and um, but aside from that, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've, I've been, um, spending more time doing, uh, things outside of the musical world, uh, than I have in the past, uh, which is nice, but, um, yeah, obviously it's a pretty stressful and anxious time for, for everyone. I'd say, um, at least, uh, at least, you know, for a lot of self-employed people, depending on what you do, it can actually be not as big of a hit um compared to i guess some other jobs out there but yeah what's it been like for you it's been good i mean i've I've had a similar experience where um not seeing people and not touring and stuff like that hasn't been the biggest deal for me i mean it has been a little boring and i've like you know copped a little bit of mental strain because of it because obviously you know socializing is is a thing that's pretty necessary I think for happiness I'd um, say so <laughs> uh, so there's been a little bit of that for sure but it's given me like this like large amount of mental space I feel like to do a bunch of shit that I just feel like I've wanted to do for a long time and just haven't mm. uh, and I've talked about a bunch of these on the podcast already so for people who, who listen regularly they're probably fucking sick of hearing me talk about these <laughs> things but like one of them for instance is brewing beer Oh, so um, that, that's something I've wanted to do for a long time. I mean, I think I've, I always enjoy beer and I always try to limit my intake of it and stuff like that because otherwise I drink way too much beer and, and whatnot. But uh, I've I've always like loved the just the nature surrounding beer and like I I like that it has such a long history and that like you know there's certain beers and stuff that come from like monasteries and shit and it's just, I don't know it just it all feels like very sort of artisanal and cool mm. to me and and one for a, for a long time I've wanted to to brew um and just always never gotten around to it so that's one thing I've done another thing I've done is I've been um going right down the rabbit hole with chess so oh I, cool yeah I've been I played chess like on and off since I was pretty young but I never really like dived right into it so I've been learning a lot of chess theory and then I've also been getting like formal chess lessons on the internet with this internet international master guy. Um, which Magnus been, Carlsen? No, no, he's a grandmaster. 
<laughs> no, he's, he's way above international masters. <laughs> but yeah, Magnus is insane, dude. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, I'm the furthest you could be from a chess expert, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen some uh, clips, I think, from the, maybe it was a, um, a documentary about him or some kind of uh, news story. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess he's probably a, kind of on the news quite frequently for, for his performance in chess. Yeah, he's he's definitely the probably the biggest like household name in chess at the moment, and I think the other biggest names in chess in chess history have probably been Bobby Fischer mm. and maybe Gary Kasparov or something like that. Got it. But yeah, I mean the crazy thing about somebody like Magnus is he he's kind of like rewriting chess theory a little bit because there's certain so for, I don't know how much you know about chess, but like. Um, there's what's called the the opening, right? And opening theory is like pretty standard across the board. Like most pros will play the same openings as, you know, amateurs. Um, but it's like what happens in the middle game and the end game, you know, after say like move seven or eight, when it becomes a brand new game for everybody mm-hmm. involved, um, that's when like real good players sort of divert from amateurs. <laughs> but um, Magnus, like, and the reason this, this opening theory exists and is so well studied is just because it's been around for so long and you know people just sort of know what works and what doesn't work has been bred Mm -hmm. out of of the style and the playing and what does work has been encouraged and sort of stuck to as a standard but fucking magnus dude he doesn't give a shit he just like rewrites (laughs) openings and shit (laughs) like um and somehow makes it work against the best players in the world that's so cool yeah i mean what would um i mean like like i said before i'm i don't know much about chess i've I obviously know how to play it at least, um, but it seems like the most important, or at least one of the most important factors when playing chess is just the ability to kind of like um, calculate hypothetical scenarios, like a lot of them, as even I guess simultaneously. Or what would you say is the most important thing? I mean, that's that's one of them. Yeah, you have to be able to see a lot of different lines. Um, like you have to be able to see. It's, yeah, it's it's almost a game of who can see the furthest hypothetical scenarios in the most different sort of fluctuations or like mm-hmm. whatever. But it, it's a it's a little bit of that. But I think it's as much um, pattern recognition as it is that. Mm. So I think a lot of it comes down to just no like just seeing certain things on the board, like knowing, oh, if my knight is here and his bishop is here and he's castled queen side or whatever, then there's a good chance, because I've played a shitload of chess, that I know that these following things will happen or whatever. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so it's a lot of pattern recognition stuff too, I think. And it's a lot of just fundamentals as well, like um, just knowing like when a trade is a good trade and you know knowing uh, how to play openings and totally. you know, knowing knowing proper defense and... Um, yeah, it's a lot of just like theory, to be honest. It's kind of probably the same as music in some of those ways, you know, like, um, and this could be beneficial or detrimental, I think, sometimes in music because it's like a subjective thing. It's not like an, a zero-sum game where like one person wins or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, you know, in music, there's probably, you get to a point in the writing process where there is a the same in chess like a bunch of hypothetical things that could happen but you sort of have to choose one right mm-hmm, definitely yeah that's so have you been just kind of studying or have you been playing competitively too 
no, I haven't been playing competitively. I've just been playing online and just studying. But yeah, it's just something I've been finding interesting, I guess, during quarantine. It's something that I've never really invested a ton of time into um, and something that I don't think I would have done if I was still touring as much as I was touring. Totally. Yeah. How do you? Um, how are you feeling these days about uh, about touring? I'm, I'm flipping the roles here. I'm, I'm just asking mm-hmm. you all the questions now, apparently. No, that's good. I mean, I think that that's what makes this podcast cool is it ha- having a conversation rather than just an interview or whatever. Yeah. I find depending on the person I'm talking to, it can kind of go either way. Like it, some people are more like into having that back and forth conversation and other people are more into just like answering questions, which is either is fine by me. Um, but yeah, to, uh, to, to go back to your question about touring, I mean, I, I I was starting to like it a lot, actually, towards the end when shows stopped. And I think the reason why is because I kind of just whittled out everything about touring that I didn't like and mm. just kept to the things that I did like. So I, I, I did a bunch of shows back in like <coughs> 2016 or something where I had a like a full band, not not a full band, but it was like me and a drummer. And was like, that I had KJ a, Saka or... I did do some shows with him, but I also did some shows with this um, this other guy called Andrew Hutchings. Uh, he was a really sick Australian drummer, hmm. and we had like a full like visual show with fucking projectors and shit. And I don't know, you've done that before, right? Like it's a mm-hmm. it's just a big undertaking to. Oh man, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you end up at the end making sort of no money and mm-hmm. or very little money and. You know, everyone's running on like no sleep and everyone's fucking working way too hard. <laughs> yep. And it's just a huge pain in the ass. But I, I did it in the worst way where I like bit off way more than I could chew for how much the tour was making and just didn't get hotels the whole time, just slept in a van and stuff. Oh. And dude, it ruined Burned you me. out. Yeah, <laughs> massively. Yep. Mm-hmm. So after that, I was like, all right, I know exactly what I hate to do now. <laughs> so like, what is the bits of and it almost got to the point where i was like you know what fuck music like i'll just get into programming or some shit and just start doing software or something like that um and i don't know it got to this point where i was like all right i had to have like a big conversation with myself about like what is it that i like about music and being a musician and what is it that i don't like and i figured like i really like making beats and i like being in the studio and when I go to a show, I don't want it to be this huge fucking thing where I have to like drive a shitload of gear to a place and you know set up this huge thing, like get to the show like ten hours early and stuff like that. Or like, at least wanna... maybe if the budget was different and you know you had more hands helping you, then maybe that would change things a little bit, right? Yeah, but that's not not happening, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I was just kind of curious because I've definitely gone through the the same thing. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, so. Yeah, I kind of whittled it down to what I really wanted to be doing is just DJing, like walking into a club with a USB stick and just playing tunes. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where it was at the end. And I was playing to like bigger crowds, getting paid more. People in the crowd didn't seem to give a shit that I wasn't doing live shows. (laughs) And everyone was just listening to the music and enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And everyone was having a good time, me included. So I... Yeah, towards the end, it was actually pretty enjoyable. Um, albeit, I was like, it was a pretty fast-paced lifestyle because, like, Monday through Thursday, I was just in the studio or at home, i.e., in the studio, um, just making tunes. And then Friday through Saturday, I was just flying around the country DJing. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of like this weekly routine that I had, but it felt pretty healthy. I mean, like Monday through Thursday, I'd go to the gym and make music, and then Friday through Saturday, I'd just be doing shows and 
it felt like a yeah a good routine and i was, I was actually enjoying it a lot mm. but uh how, how about you like what, what what was your experience like with touring before before shows weren't a thing oh um yeah i mean i had a I guess a fairly similar experience to what you're describing in 2016 at the end of last year. Um, and I, uh, I actually, I, my background with music kind of prevents me from exploring DJing more. Um, but, uh, so that's, that's never really been on the table for me, I guess, I guess at least creatively, but, um, but yeah, no, I was, I was touring, um, a decent amount up until the end of 2019. And then, um, I was on tour with, uh, Cohen sound and I actually, it was funny. We were in, I think it was in Manchester, um, that, that I called them Cohen sound and somebody in the crowd called me out for it. I said, it's Cohen sound. It's like, <laughs> uh, felt so embarrassed, but anyways, fucking yank. <laughs> uh, but, uh, we were on tour together for three months and, uh, it was in a lot of ways, definitely one of the coolest experiences i've had just because um jim and will are like huge inspirations uh to me and they have been for a long time so kind of meeting them personally and hanging out with them on the road and stuff was really cool um but yeah i think the circumstances of the tour were a little unfortunate um a lot of the logistics got mishandled it was our first time for for uh both of us working with a new booking agency and um i mean it's hard to say how much what had to do with what factors uh, kind of falling apart, I guess. There is a variety of different issues, but it kind of ended up stressing everyone out. And by the end of it, um, it was uh, I definitely felt pretty burnt out from from just the whole touring uh, experience. And for, for I know some of it came down to what you were describing in terms of, um, you know, just if you're getting paid a certain amount and you're putting in just significantly more than that in time and effort and, and, um, you know, employing people and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you end up losing money on top of kind of like putting your mental health at risk. Um, and, uh, I guess it could be hard to justify that. Um, and the, in the long run, like you can definitely pull it off in the short term, but after three months of that, I felt super burnt out. I was like, okay, I think, um, seeing as I'm not too fond of the idea of um, being a DJ um, or anything of the sort, because um, I, I don't know, I just can't have that relationship with live performances. Uh, unfortunately, it just doesn't work for me. But but do you uh, think like live performances? Um, I don't know. T to me, I don't see DJing as an exclusive thing. You know, it's like you can DJ and you can also do live shows. Totally. So I guess that's the way I look. Do you? do you not see yourself being able to DJ full stop at all for any purpose ever? Um, not, not for any purpose. I think maybe just specifically for, um, my Haywire project, it doesn't make sense to me because I guess the foundation of the project for me has always been kind of combining, um, my passion for, um, keyboard performance with electronic music production mm -hmm. and, um, to try to like take, a big chunk of what the project is about out of it just to, um, I guess, make it um, more profitable like more or feasible for touring. Yeah. yeah. It, it didn't seem like a sacrifice that made sense. So, um, so yeah, I mean, weirdly enough, before the pandemic, I had already kind of decided I want wanted to focus more on, on other 
work anyways. And then, and then, uh, yeah, and then COVID came about and kind of just uh, enforced those those plans, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, like, what what kind of work was that that you were trying to to get into other than touring? I think up until up until now, I've I haven't really considered my skills as being valuable outside of the Haywire project. Um, I've always just kind of thought of what I do as serving um, that project and, and that was my career. But, um, but I've been trying to explore just doing, uh, or getting my, um, foot in the door with sync opportunities and publishing opportunities and trying to just offer my skills for various other stuff, doing songwriting, um, right before the lockdown happened in January. Um, I was, I flew out to LA and did, um, my first a couple of weeks of sessions, um, just kind of met up with random artists, some of which I knew, um, and some of which I'd never met before and just kind of got in the studio and wrote some stuff. And, um, that ended up leading to my first credit on a song outside of, uh, like my Haywire project, which I thought was pretty cool. And so, um, I don't know, just trying to like explore more stuff like that and, um, yeah, just offering, I guess, what I feel like uh, I I know or am capable of to other people's projects, uh, and doing doing more of that. Nice, yeah. I've, uh, I was watching some talk that I think it was Kashmir do, um, where he was like talking about his career and and how it took off for him originally. Because I mean, it seems to me like what he's mostly known for at this point is his splice sample packs, right? Oh, really? Um, <clears throat> Kashmir? Oh, sorry, I was thinking of Kashmir Cat. Yeah, no, you're right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, K-S-H-M-R, I think it is, like, all caps. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I would say, like, that's how I know about him anyway. Um, But I watched this talk that he did, and he was saying that initially, in early in his career, that was sort of his main thing, is, like, not making samples or even making music for himself, but just making music for other people. And then do you know that song that has the lyric that says uh, feeling so fly like a G6? <laughs> yeah. You know, he made that song. Oh, really? He, yeah. he produced it. Yeah, yeah. He like produced a beat or whatever. And then I, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know if he recorded the vocals. And I mean, he obviously didn't sing the vocals. <laughs> but like, um, Are you sure about that? I, I, th- I mean, he doesn't look like he could, but <laughs> you know, I'm not, I shouldn't underestimate the guy. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's, uh, listening to him talk about that sounded super interesting and it, and it kind of made me want to do a similar thing at some point. How, so I'm interested, like, how do you, uh, find yourself getting into that sort of work? Is it a thing you just hit your management up about and be like, Hey, I want to make music with people in LA. And, uh, and I guess my other question is, uh, is it more like pop orientated stuff or is it sort of more, I don't know, like bespoke, like jazzy shit or like, what, <laughs> what is it really? It's, um, I guess it's because, um, my, my quote unquote resume is kind of in the electronic music world. I'm kind of relying on my connections in that space, um, to do stuff. So I haven't really, um, gotten, I had, and I'm really new to this too. So keeping that in mind, like I haven't gotten any like really substantial opportunities at all. Just trying to c- get some experience under my belt and stuff. It's definitely been in the electronic music world. Um, not like strictly EDM or anything, but, um, uh, but yeah, I guess just electronic music in general. 
Okay, so you're going in more as a like in in the box, like you're on the mouse and QWERTY keyboard producing rather than playing keys. Actually, um, interestingly enough, it, it's been kind of the opposite of that um, because a lot of the sessions I did, there were there was already a producer there, um, and so you know it can often feel like there's too many cooks in the kitchen, at least in my experience. And um, as long as there's a keyboard around. I am much faster in the, like writing stuff on the keyboard than in any DAW. So um, that's always been the dynamic that I've, or that's been the dynamic that I've had in sessions with producers. And then in sessions with vocalists, it's been um, kind of the opposite where I'll mostly be uh, wearing the producer hat uh, and that kind of stuff. Nice. Yeah, it's awesome that you have both skills. I definitely, um, <clears throat> so I don't actually even have a, a MIDI keyboard in my studio setup. It's literally just I use the mouse and the QWERTY keyboard to input everything. I know. I've seen I've seen videos of you um, working in Ableton, and I've tuned into your Twitch and stuff before. And clearly, you know your way around uh, programming any kind of MIDI and audio that you need to do. I don't think uh, <laughs> I don't think a, uh, like a MIDI keyboard is really necessary for you. Yeah, I kind of want to get one. Though. I mean, I have one. I just don't have it set up. But I've I. I sometimes think like for doing sound design or something, it could be cool just to like, maybe it would allow me or make me get more into like mod wheel stuff. Cause I, mm. I always find like, that's something I never use, right? Is like attaching a bunch of shit to the mod wheel and then just testing out really quickly what that may sound like. And instead I usually just find myself attaching a bunch of shit to like envelopes or LFOs or something. Cause they're, you know, automated rather than, you know, having to manually touch a thing to, to impart that modulation on, on all those parameters totally. so I was thinking for, for that reason it could be interesting yeah I I actually um, I love doing that kind of work especially with um, with serum it's flexible enough to map uh, like all sorts of stuff to, to different parameters to make it more exciting to, to play with um, so obviously doing any kind of like velocity or note sensitive um, modulation is super fun and can make a lot of sounds really dynamic and exciting to to play with so I, I do that all the time um even just something as basic as having like you know the cutoff on a on a sound um being linked to velocity sensitivity or something just makes it um really fun to to, to jam on right right um so going back to touring <clears throat> how, how do you see touring like working post-covid oof that's a tough one. <laughs> I mean, well, like, I, how do, I mean, it's already happening, right? Like even yeah, now, even during COVID. But yeah, what do you what do you see happening like over the next few years? Hmm. I mean, I, I'm definitely no. <laughs> I'm not an expert on this at all. I mean, I think um, the estimate for last I heard the estimate for a vaccine was something like a year. So, assuming that you know touring like it was before can happen again in 2021, I guess we'll probably just continue seeing a lot of what we're seeing right now up until then. And then it'll probably die off in terms of, you know, like the, the online uh, festivals and um, people like, I'm sure there's a lot of other artists, but the first artist that I saw doing uh, drive-in shows was uh, Mark Rebelay. I don't know if that's how you say his name. Is that, do you know him? No, I don't. Um, he's, I feel like you've probably seen some of his videos before if you don't know his name. He's He's like a synth guy, right? He he does um a lot of live looping with uh Okay. um with this kind of like modest little setup, but he's 
kind of like this creative powerhouse. He just makes videos of himself jamming on top of random loops and streams it all the time. And it's it's kind of like a uh, modern version of Reggie Watts, if you know Reggie Watts. Oh, uh, yeah, I do know this guy that you're talking about. Yeah, I have seen his like, videos actually, he, and they're kind of like comical, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They're really entertaining. But anyways, I think I saw him announcing a tour. Uh, I think it was like a drive-in show where you know you're driving into like a, it's like a drive-in theater, and he's performing, and you're kind of jamming out in your car to to the music, um, or at least that's how I I th- thought it was running down. Yeah, yeah, I saw a few of my friends. Actually, I had Dirt Monkey on the podcast two days ago. He he did a drive-in show recently. Really? Yeah, yeah, he did one with uh, Peekaboo, I think. Oh. And um, yeah, I mean, we had a big conversation about like the ethics of doing shows right now. Um, how do you feel about that? Like, do you think it's ethically incorrect to to try and do a show right now? Well, the drive-in shows certainly seems seems fine, but um, yeah, I. Well, he's, he's been it, doing club shows too. Though. Oh, he's been doing club shows too. Interesting. Yeah. So um, what they do is they they take your temperature upon entry. They say masks are mandatory, and then they limit uh, the capacity of shows to like a hundred people, even if it's like a one thousand person club. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think obviously with pretty pretty strict precautionary measures, it it can be fine. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean outside of outside of that. Uh, it, I don't think that it should, it should really be happening right now, um, especially in the U.S. Yeah, I think it's just going to lead to further closures, right? Like it's just going to, you, you're going to see, um, and this is not just exclusive to shows, right? Like um, this has also got to do with restaurants already reopening, even with outdoor seating and stuff, because people have to take their masks off to eat, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. So. I mean, I think that like any sort of gathering of people, whether it be restaurants or uh, events or anything like that, should be treated with more caution because it's just going to like I know I understand the economy. The economy is like fucked. But like (laughs) also like this is not really going to solve it. It's just going to make it worse. I feel like it's it's the same as, um, you know, just like. Uh, if you have a personal medical issue that you just keep ignoring or something like that, it's just going to keep getting worse, right? Like you should probably <clears throat> go get it checked out or whatever. And I feel the same way about this situation. It's like this is a medical issue, but it's not just for one person. It's for the entire human race. So it's like if, this, mm. if it's a thing that we're obviously not ignoring it, but you know, if it's a thing we just keep like forcing to try and fix the economy, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's going to just cause further closures down the road and just fuck the economy up even worse. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, there's a lot of kind of factors at play, and I think a lot of it is kind of actually really difficult to interpret. Um, I mean, for example, like seeing the test cases rising and seeing um, maybe like the the numbers of the number of deaths uh, rising. Two, it's like it's really confusing to look at that data, honestly, because a, I don't quite understand whether the testing that happens in the U.S. is held to the same standard as in other countries, and I don't really think it is. Um, and so it's like, well, how do you compare that data then? And then also, when you're reading that people are actually dying from COVID, um, I don't think there's uh, a clear way of knowing whether it was specifically COVID that. Um, killed someone or whether COVID just exacerbated like a pre-existing condition that then killed them. So it's like, 
I don't know. In some ways, it's really hard to gauge exactly what's going on. But regardless, it's like, well, people are dying. So something as simple as wearing a mask should not be a big deal, you know? Right. Yeah. All that exacerbated, uh, sorry, um, coupled with like fear mongering from the media too is kind of fucked. Yeah. Because it like makes the, the issue like way harder to understand, even if you are like pretty literate and reading a lot of stuff or what, whatnot. Mm -hmm. Still, it's like, you know, media uh, sort of <clears throat> loves clickbait and they love for you to click on their website because they can sell ads to you then and all that kind of stuff. So it's like there's so many reasons for for the media to to want to lie to you and get you on their on their platforms. So you've also like got to take all that stuff into account too, I guess. Totally. Yeah. And this might sound like uh, kind of silly, but it actually it legitimately kind of scares me a little bit. <laughs> um yeah, it's just uh, it's just weird not feeling like you know what uh, sources to trust or what to take seriously, and it I think it's kind of confusing because it makes it hard to know what to what to believe. Right, but also on the other hand, right, it's like the logical side, at least of myself, tells me like we should probably just listen to scientists, right? Like, <laughs> like you know, there's, there's people who have studied epidemiology like well before this virus came along. Mm -hmm, totally, doctors that have studied this shit for like the better part of two or three decades who who have just been studying it regardless of whether or not a virus is existing in our culture at the level that it is right now so we should mm -hmm. probably just like listen to those people Absolutely. but also it's like what if those people have a, a some benefit to lying to you mm -hmm. which which can definitely happen but um seems less likely uh than let's say like a politician or something that's addressing it Right. Yeah, because they just have, like, so much more agenda. Mm -hmm. Dude, speaking of politics, did you see Kanye is running for president? <laughs> I, I I did, yeah. It's hard <laughs> not to notice that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what do you reckon is going to happen? There? Are you an American citizen, by the way? Because you're Austrian, right? So I um, I lived in Austria for a while. I've um, I have American and German citizenship. So I do have I do have dual, but um, but no Austrian citizenship. Okay, so you... You were born in Germany, or so I, I was actually um, born on U.S. turf, but um, I just moved to Austria when I was fairly young. I lived there for seven years, and um, yeah, and then came back to the to North America. Damn! So do you speak like Austrian and German and stuff? Yeah, I speak speak Deutsch. Um, oh, nice, dude. <laughs> yeah, it it doesn't really come in handy at all, to be honest. The only time I speak German is with my family, um, and. Very rarely do I meet somebody that I can just randomly have a conversation with in German. So it's not, I don't feel like it's a very, uh, it's ubiquitous enough to be very useful, but um, right. I can sound very vicious and angry to people. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I always feel like German sounds like, maybe apart from Hebrew, um, the most aggressive sounding language. It's just yeah, like it's, very hard edged. It's like all the, and like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. The, yeah. Isn't there a word in German that like, uh, expresses like a form of sadness that is just like unexpressible in English or something. Oh, maybe you're thinking of Schadenfreude. Yeah, um, that's, it's, that's the one. Yeah, it's uh, happiness at the at someone else's expense, or mm. maybe I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it, but it's experiencing happiness when somebody else is uh, is griefing, I guess. Huh. So like the opposite <laughs> of um, pretty dark. Oh, fuck. What's that word? Um. God, uh, I can't remember. Anyway, um, so 
the, uh, so so after COVID happens, uh, when when there's a solution like either by vaccine or whatever, um, and during I guess uh, your plans at least in the music realm is sort of just to to try and keep doing sync stuff or or do you have like other plans for Haywire or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I well, I guess to be pretty transparent, I think I'm. Um, a little bit scattered right now. Uh, I think I'm. I don't have like a very obvious focus because um, I think a lot of things, you know, even aside from the pandemic, have kind of changed the industry. And I think I've changed too over over the last uh, last few years. And I guess the the Haywire project for me is already eleven years old now too. So um, a lot of stuff has changed since then. And I think I'm trying to just kind of understand um, how to um make something next that's that's that really speaks to where i think the project should go um and it's just taking some time i guess so uh so yeah i'm definitely still writing a lot of original music but it's been it's been really difficult to to finish it um i've i've been uh taking vocal lessons as well to learn how to sing um that's actually been really fulfilling too uh and kind of like learning various different pieces where I can play piano and sing has been like a really cool experience. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I've been doing just all sorts of, uh, various little projects here and there, but no, like extremely major singular uh, project for the Haywire. Um, uh, I guess like profile that's happening uh, right now. Right. Right. So uh, the Haywire project, it's always seemed to me like this kind of like, I mean, it's it's very theoretical, it seems like, in a lot of ways, because you have like a pretty heavy uh, theory background, but also like, you know, quite, uh, like you concentrate a lot on songwriting too. It's, it's not like you go right down the theory hole. It seems like, it kind of seems like you also ha- hold a lot of value on just like simple and well-executed songwriting. Um mm-hmm. So I'm, I guess I'm curious, like, what is it that you're finding interesting on the music theory side of things lately? And then what is it that you're finding interesting on the songwriting side of things lately? Yeah, I mean, I guess to sum it up, um, I've been the the general uh, change in my like creative interests has pivoted more and more away from, uh, I, I guess, more sound design and complexity and um just uh yeah just veering away from that and being more interested in relatability so um i guess naturally like learning how to sing also means like i've been experimenting more with like writing lyrics and paying more attention to um lyrics and other people's music so that's been that's been quite interesting is to kind of tap in more into that that idea of like relatability um and yeah, it's been really satisfying to just learn other people's music and just you know uh, play it back and and sing it. And even even that alone is not something I ever really did in the past. And I'm kind of surprised I never learned how to sing. Honestly, it's like such a natural um, instrument, and it's so it's so gratifying. And because I think it's a really vulnerable thing, it's probably the the most vulnerable thing that you can do is use your use use your voice to to share um, uh, something creative, I guess, if, because like, uh, 
well, I don't know. You know, you play a note on a piano, you know, C4 is always going to sound like C4. Um, but if you sing C4, like one day you're going to sound um, maybe a little bit more hoarse than, than the next day. And um, it's, a, I don't know, it feels like a much more, there's more variability and there's more vulnerability and and approaching music with uh, with vocals, I think. So, I don't know, for some reason that's been making it more exciting for me. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought, and actually this is something that um, that Virtual Riot also told me once. We like kind of had the same idea. <clears throat> um, in sound design, it almost seems like the sounds that get the most popular are the ones that sound the most vocal. Mm. Um, and I think that that's because it's like the most relatable, right? Like everybody has a voice and everyone's able to go like, yeah, and like make sounds like that. <laughs> so when you make a bass that sounds like that or like, you know, a drum that, or like just whatever that sounds quiet vocal, mm-hmm. it gets like, I don't know, it just seems to me like uh, the entire sound design community is like, whoa, that's a cool sound. <laughs> um, yeah, and like some good examples of that is like, for instance, Skrillex, like a lot of his basses when when he was, uh, I mean, he's still huge, but like when he first came out, um, just like a lot of people I thought were like, whoa, those sounds are crazy. And then also um, Tipper, right? Like he's, he's quite <laughs> big. I don't think like the reason he's big is just because of he the fact that he uses a lot of vocal sounds. Like he's obviously pretty creative and really good at songwriting and has has some really like thoughtful music but um yeah i mean i think like maybe that's part of it right is it 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 in part sounds relatable without vocals because the sound are almost like just the sound design palette he uses is like quiet vocal totally no I, i completely agree with that and what's interesting too is that um my vocal coach um told me a while back that when you're listening to music that has vocals in it, um, your vocal cords are actually subconsciously responding to that as if you're kind of like singing along. And um, I think actually, I think there were some studies on video games and chess too, where um, if you're watching uh, somebody playing a video game or playing chess, it kind of um, activates a lot of like, uh, I guess neurologically, it's very similar to watch somebody playing chess as it is to playing it yourself or something. So uh, I I think that something about relatability is connected to that. Mm. Yeah, it's probably why streaming got so big too, right? Like um, Mm -hmm. if you had asked me like 10 years ago uh, or told me rather that in 10 years everyone's going to be sitting around on the internet watching other people play video games, I'd be like, no fucking way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. that's that's not going to happen unless it's like an e-sport right like league of legends or right. something like that um but i would never have thought like people would just sit around like watching somebody who really doesn't know how to play mafia 3 that well play mafia 3 and yeah, just it's wild yeah but it's you're right i mean when you watch it it kind of almost uh gratifies you in the same way as if you were to just play it yourself mm-hmm. yeah definitely but yeah, I, I, I never would have guessed either that streaming would have become as, as popular as it is now. Yeah, I mean, specifically through quarantine, I, I noticed that as soon as quarantine started, everyone in the music <laughs> industry almost immediately started throwing streaming events. And dude, I, got, I think in the first like month of quarantine, I got asked to play like probably like 50 sets on Twitch. And wow. I, I had to just like turn almost all of them down because I was like, for starters, I think like sets online 
I kind of, I don't know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I feel like sets are like a full body kind of experience. Like you want to feel the sound system, you know, you want to feel bass in your body. And also I think like another big part of what makes sets cool is the fact that there's, you know, a thousand people experiencing the same thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. It like kind of puts everybody on this same plane of thinking and feeling. And that has like this added intense effect to it. Where, um, you know, if you just do it online, it's like everyone is still doing that, but they're doing it in such a disconnected way from each other that it doesn't quite have that same effect. Totally. Um, so for those reasons, I didn't really get into the <clears throat> the streaming things uh, too much. But what I have been into on Twitch a lot is um, streaming myself just producing music. And I've seen you do that a few times as well. In fact, <laughs> I want to talk to you about this. Um, right. The first time I ever seen you streaming music on Twitch was at South by Southwest with an artist <laughs> called Aerochord. Oh, no, we're going, we're going there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh -oh. that was the last time I'd, I'd, I'd never heard of the guy before. I watched you stream that day with him and was like, who is this guy? I think I listened to like one or two of his tunes and was like, oh yeah, it's like Monster Cat trap music or whatever. And then uh, recently he he got canceled, right? Mm-hmm. I saw someone post on my Discord the other day and I was like, oh, I remember that name from that time you were streaming with him. And then I read about like how he treated this woman horribly and... Um, and yeah, maybe we can talk about cancellations because, I mean, there's been a lot of those lately. <laughs> oh, boy. There's, well, there was, there was that one. There was also Space Jesus and then there was Thriftworks yeah. and then fucking Bass Nectar, man. Wait, Thriftworks too? Yeah, man. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there are some people uh, that have uh, had a really well-articulated um, and, like, well-put approach to what's going on in that, in that world because there's kind of... Um, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure that you and I see this pretty similarly. Like there's, there's pros and cons to it. I think on the one side, uh, I think it's good to hold people accountable for things, even if they may not be, um, illegal. It's like, you know, we should, uh, I think actually G Jones posted something pretty recently that summed it up quite well. Um, and you know, just because something is, isn't illegal doesn't mean that it's right. And I think it's good for uh, us in general, not just specifically in the music community, to hold each other accountable to uh, to that and try to encourage values that are um, going to make everyone's lives, you know, quote unquote, better, um, for the lack of a better word. But uh, yeah, and I, I think that's that's good and all. Um, but obviously, with that comes the potential downside of. Um, only looking or not paying attention to the difference between an allegation and um, a conviction, and that that's really scary, man. Um, to to see how quickly or how easily people turn on someone without really verifying, um, like uh, I guess the the source or the legitimacy um, of it. So it's definitely like a two sided thing. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's pros and cons there what are, what are your thoughts on it i i guess the way i think about it is in like a bit of a comical way where i'm like oh you know what i hate when i get canceled for raping someone and then like oh wait yeah that never happens to me because i don't do that you know yeah sorry i don't mean to interrupt you i guess i should just clarify that like obviously you know well, i guess i only talked about things that aren't illegal but then there are the things that are illegal that you know i think it's perfectly fine for somebody to 
be reprimanded online um, for that and to be convicted of, uh, you know, whatever crimes they committed. So I guess, I, yeah. I don't know, I felt the need to at least clarify that because I feel like I only talked about, you know, those like gray area things. Yeah, but even those gray area things, like I read, uh, actually, it was a link that I got from the G. Jones statement you were talking about, where he shared some good articles and documents um, uh, linking to just like, you know, information about power dynamics and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, in, in regards to the base nectar thing, I think. But um, <clears throat> yeah, one of the, the the sentences in there were like, you know, we should aim for just better than just a shave above a legal, you know, like just it's it's legal, but not by much. Like it's almost illegal what some of these people were doing. And I think in those circumstances, like reprimandation is still warranted i think to get those people out of the scene but i i also see where you're coming from in that um groupthink is like a scary thing for sure it's like there there could probably have been certain things that anyone has done where if a group just decides to hate them mm-hmm. uh, you know that that influence of the group on the rest of the group um is gonna just like define everybody's opinion on it almost unanimously right and it's um nobody in a group likes to feel like an outsider or be a contrarian or feel disconnected or divorced from the group so like it almost seems in that way that yeah a lot of people could just jump on the bandwagon without verifying things like you said and yeah i agree that's terrible but i think in these cases that have come out lately uh most of it seems pretty warranted yeah yeah i mean well base nectar pretty much um confirmed uh a good chunk of the allegations from what i understand um and i'm i also um i may not be like using the best words to describe my thoughts on this because i i actually most of the time don't feel very comfortable talking about it because i i feel like i i'm legitimately concerned about not phrasing things properly but um but yeah i mean i i definitely think that with with uh in the case of like base nectar um, and similar ones, like I, especially when they've just straight up confirmed um, like aspects of the allegations, if not like what happened to the T is exactly what went down. Um, you know, in those cases, I think it's perfectly fine for people to be like, oh, I'm not supporting you anymore. Because, yeah, I mean, realistically, regardless of who that person is, you you would want to condone that. So, um so yeah, I don't think that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean, there was a, I mean, for starters, Base Nectar's statement was like ridiculous. He's like, oh, I, I want to just like address this and say that everything you've heard is untrue. And that is why I'm resigning my $40 million a year career. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I can, uh, yeah, no, it is kind of kind of wild. So I, I guess from, from what I understand, he admitted to um, like, sleeping with with various girls on tour and taking advantage of maybe um not, not just girls like underage women right like yeah yeah women did, who so are like did, 17 and did he did he admit admitted to to that as well like that they were so he, in one of the calls that came out on the evidence against base nectar instagram he said he was like very manipulative to the woman he was talking to and he basically said do you want me to rot in a jail in Tennessee? Because that's what's going to happen to me if you tell people about this. That's what he said to her. Mm, which wait, is, did, I'm sorry. Can, can you clarify what you mean by the one of the calls? 
Yeah, so there's two um, recorded phone calls that came out with him talking to, like, victims, right? And, I mean, obviously oh. the victims recorded the phone calls and then just uploaded them for everybody else to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the one that I'm talking about, he basically says to the victim, uh, if you tell anyone about this, I'm going to go to jail in Tennessee and get sodomized and beaten up. Do you want that to happen <laughs> to me, basically? So he's yeah, A, being... Very manipulative. Yeah, super manipulative. And B, just like straight out on a recorded phone call admitting that he he did those things. Yeah, that's wild. Um, yeah, so um, I guess I I definitely didn't know about that. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know. There, there should be no place for that. And I think it's totally appropriate to... Um, hold people are accountable for that it's just like well you you don't want anybody to be doing that kind of shit so it's like yeah you know stop stop going to their show stop listening their music i think that's totally totally reasonable and do whatever can be done to um like set an example of these people to sort of eradicate the issue from the industry and just hopefully eradicate the issue from life in general because there's such a high price to pay for for it or whatever um it's wild yeah i mean and after all these, I mean, well, sort of before all these cancellations, but after COVID stuff was the Black Lives Matter issue where yeah. that video came out. Like, oh man, it seems like the world is just turning to shit. I mean, I guess it's always, there's always been massive issues, right? And Steven Pinker. Yeah. Steven Pinker has a book. I can't remember what it's called, but, um, and I haven't read it, <laughs> but I've watched uh, videos of him talking about it in a TED talk where he explains mm. what he talks about in the book. And basically the book is about like how everything in life is actually getting better. Where like if you actually look at graphs over the past like few hundred years, almost by every metric, the quality of life and whatnot and the world itself is better than it has ever been Mm -hmm. according to science or whatever. I think that's the point of it. Anyway, yeah, it seems like that has not been the case this year Uh, and... I'm wondering, I guess, if it's because we're so aware of what's going on because, A, the internet exists and is able to show us these issues so clearly, like they're right in front of our face, we can't ignore them, and B, uh, because everybody has like, nobody has their attention diverted right now because everyone's just at home, right? So everyone's just looking at their screens simultaneously. I mean, not that people aren't doing that when COVID isn't a thing, but they're maybe doing a little bit less, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I somewhat wonder, um, and not to like take away from any of the issues that are happening in the world right now, but I, I somewhat wonder if like these issues are maybe being inflated a little bit because of that stuff. Uh, yeah. And like if these issues exist, I mean, obviously Black Lives Matter has been an issue that's existed forever and mm-hmm. it was obviously way worse during times of slavery and stuff like that. But um I mean, it's obviously still not solved, but uh, yeah, I just I, I somewhat wonder, like, if, if that's part of it, like, if it's just all being inspected under a microscope right now because of the conditions that we live in. Yeah, I mean, like, like you said, like, there's definitely like there's a very obvious legitimacy to like um, uh, I, I guess just like the presence of uh, racism in the U.S. But I mean, aside from aside from that well i guess just globally and and i think it's a fundamental um i mean on the one hand it's like yes uh it you you kind of want to do what can be done to eradicate something like that but uh, there's something deeper to that that's um really hard to address too which is just the fact that um i think humans naturally um 
create generalizations and assumptions. And I think that um, it's like a, a lack of, um, I'm, I'm not sure if it's in a, a willful inability to think of, think, of, uh, think of things in a more complex way or uh, what it is exactly. But I mean, obviously there, there's evolutionary advantages to making assumptions. There's only so much like brain power we have. So it's like, you know, we can't think of everything that's happening around us constantly. And, um, you know, it helps conserve like energy usage and stuff to be like, oh, it looks like an apple. Well, it's probably an apple so I can eat that, um, you know, but uh, but yeah, in the case of um, of dealing with other people, um, there are there are reasons why that happens, you know, and it and that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be addressed or kind of like try like surgically removed but it's like it's it's so much harder than just saying like oh let's beat racism because it's like um at least the way that i see it is like it's uh, to some degree some a part of us that uh you know that has to be um kind of addressed on an individual level uh if that makes any sense at all totally yeah yeah i think it um to like zoom out even further it seems or not even to zoom out further but it just seems like uh people in general like to oversimplify a lot of things they seem to be like oh this is an issue where the answer is so clear well let's just change that thing right and then the issue goes away like a good example Mm -hmm. um might be say uh, coronavirus right like it started from a wet market in wuhan so everyone in the west is like well simple we just delete wet markets right like fuck those things it's like that's how all these issues happen right it's like the last bunch of viruses have started by a wet market it's like get rid Mm -hmm. yeah just get rid of those um but it's not that simple because i mean you got to think like china is uh you know a country with what a billion people or more so providing food to all those people is not the same issue that it is in america where you have a third of the people so, I mean, you need these like markets and stuff like that where people just sell all sorts of shit to eat because, I mean, it's like there's just a lot more food that needs to be created to, to feed all those people. Mm-hmm. And so you can't just get rid of them. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I I guess that's, that's kind of my point is that, a, yeah, issues are really complex and generally totally. listening to experts on these subjects is probably the best move. Totally, yeah. Um, I think that's part of the reason why I'm not gonna lie. My <laughs> my heart's kind of racing whenever I talk about this kind of stuff because yeah, it's just it's just a really they're really tense topics and and for good reasons. People have really strong feelings about them, you know. And I know that I am very fortunate with um, I guess not having like very direct or like severe like emotional uh, like traumas or anything like that um, attached to some of these things. You know, I've I've never. Ex- experienced <laughs> anything even close to to racism in in my life at least um and so you know it's it's hard uh knowing that you know other people do have really direct experiences with that and there's no doubt that that can make you f- feel and think differently about them um but um but yeah i mean i just uh i just get really worried talking about this kind of stuff because i'm I'm just so concerned that people will misconstrue what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know how you feel right. about it, but yeah, I definitely get super, super nervous talking about it. To some degree, I like to step on eggshells around subjects like this. But uh, on the other hand, I mean, I just I don't see myself getting canceled that easily because I just don't 
see myself as a terrible, fucking horrible human being, you know? Like, really? Why not? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm for, just joking, man. For starters, I don't, like, you know, kill people that I don't like. I just deal with the fact that there's people I don't like. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like, for... Uh, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I feel like... Um, like the people who are getting cancelled, right? Like mm-hmm. internet, uh, like I don't know, like people like Base Nectar or what, whatnot, who have you know done bad things, or or the fucking police, obviously, which is you know basically the most organised gang of history, just doing the most horrible fucking heinous shit. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the the things that are getting deleted, right? And <clears throat> the things that are uh, that are getting cancelled. I don't think somebody like you or I are the people who are on the chopping block for getting cancelled for talking about stuff that we don't fully understand, right? Like we're, Totally, yeah. By doing I, this, providing entertainment for people to listen to a conversation that we're having. And I think that that's... We should be able to talk about these things. I mean, this is a conversation totally. that needs to happen. And just because we're not experts on the subject doesn't mean we can't talk about it. Yeah, anyway. yeah. that's, that's I guess... Um, yeah, that's really true. And that is a... That's a good point because I, I do feel... Uh, strongly that like um i feel like i need to know more to be speaking about those things but but i think by conversing with other people you often learn more than you would if you wouldn't or you definitely learn more by talking about it than um if you didn't talk about it so i feel like that's kind of like an important mechanism to getting getting some of those problems solved yeah i agree well to change the subject before we finish (laughs) um I want to just talk to you about things that you do outside of music because we talked a lot about music and then we talked yeah. a bit about issues. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm interested in like just the peripheral stuff of your life. Um, well, it's been somewhat boring recently, um, but uh, I've taken um, an interest in, um, I guess, studying things related to psychology and behavior. Um, and, uh, so I, st- I started an online music course for, uh, for music therapy, which has been pretty, pretty interesting. I started watching this, uh, series on, um, lectures on behavioral biology. Um, I just kind of stumbled upon it. I, I just came up as recommended on YouTube and, um, there, there are these, um, lectures by, uh, Professor Sapolsky at Harvard and, um, they're just so fascinating. And thankfully, he talks in kind of layman's terms, so you don't have to have like a super in-depth understanding of, of biology to to catch on to what he's saying. So I've been kind of reading a lot of that. But outside of that, um, I've uh, been trying to stay active, played, playing some tennis a little bit here and there, um, and, uh, and playing video games. Yeah. Nice. What kind of video games are you playing? I'm like a I'm a monogamous gamer. I just get get married to like one game and then I'll play that for two years, and then <laughs> I'll move on to the next one. What's um, the current one? The current one is a uh, Hearthstone. It's like yeah. a a card game. Okay. Have you played? Like, yeah, uh, I Have haven't you... played it. It's like sort of like Magic or something. Yeah, it's pretty similar. Um, and uh, I've been I've been itching actually to, um, to move on from that and. F- do something else and actually i've been considering getting into chess a little bit dude um, my, chess is where it's at my my buddy um uh, got me to download the uh, the chess app i guess there's probably quite a few out there but dude just play on chess.com 
Yeah. So you, you play against random people all the time, huh? Yeah. So it's just like matchmaking with anything like Counter-Strike or whatever. You just hit like new match, find me a new match, and it'll just find somebody around your ELO rating and then you just play them. Nice. You got any tips for a beginner? Uh, yeah. Watch some videos on chess fundamentals. Um, there's a few things that you need to learn to get started without getting your ass kicked too hard, which is like some basic opening theory, learn the basics of development, um, learn about you know castling and stuff like that. And then probably just start learning about like positional strategy and tactics and like, you know, what a good trade is versus what's not a good trade. And like, you know, the kind of identifying your opponent's weaknesses is another big one. But yeah, I mean, that's once you get up to that stage, you're sort of where I am now, which took me like years actually. Crazy. So probably just um, opening fundamentals is like the, the best place to start. Like what the first few pieces are that you should move and why. You know, like what what the the key concepts are behind why some of these openings are the way that they are. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I I played um, a few matches uh, recently, and I've just been getting completely destroyed. So, um, yeah, I got to make make sure to I guess do a bit of research before I get completely demoralized and never never play chess again. Well, the benefit with chess, unlike, I mean, a lot of games are pretty well studied, but chess is like the most well studied, I I would say almost uh, maybe apart from like Go or something like that. But it's such a well studied game that there's no shortage of information in the form of books or YouTube videos or articles on the internet or whatever. Mm, Yeah, and I think um, the thing that appeals to me most about uh, that compared to Hearthstone or a lot of other games out there is that there's no like RNG involved. It's just like purely kind of skill based. Right. There's that. And also the fact that you can like play it on a board in a bar against a random person who just also <laughs> knows how to play. Right. Like it's, it's like yeah. a very, there's a large user base or a large player base. And, um, I think that makes it pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. We should, uh, we should live stream playing chess against each other once I've trained for a bit. Dude, I'm super down. That'd be great, <laughs> that'd be, actually. That'd be so funny. Well, I can already predict who's going to win, but it'd still be fun. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, So here's the thing is I think that I'm like a pretty dumb person, like fundamentally. <laughs> I, so for instance, I didn't Aren't we start... All? Well, I mean, no, like I actually am though. Like I didn't start reading <laughs> books until like this year, you know. Like well, I, I literally that didn't... You, that, means that, that wouldn't necessarily make you dumb, but... Um, I, I think hear what like you're not, not sorting out information from literature makes you pretty fucking dumb. <laughs> well, <laughs> and you, can, you can read stuff in, in other formats. Like, were you reading anything uh, online or uh, in like PDF formats or anything like that? Or Not particularly. I was mostly just watching YouTube videos. And mm. I mean, every now and then I'd read like one page of a manual if I needed to figure something out and I couldn't find information anywhere else. But yeah, I mean, through quarantine, that's one thing I've gotten into actually is just reading because I was like, nice. oh, I have bunch of time might might as well because my issue with reading is that i would always try to read something and i'm just so bad at like sort of reading words and and inputting what they mean to my brain Mm. um do do you end up rereading a lot yes so that's that's why i kind of hated it because i would have to read like the same few sentences like six or seven times before i would actually comprehend it (laughs) dude trust me i'm i'm actually the exact same way um and uh I, I definitely struggle with the same thing. I've got I've got a lot of books that I've I've started and never finished. And actually, what I've started doing lately is um doing Audible instead, or just mm-hmm. audiobooks. Um, not sure if you've ever given that a go, but I've managed to finish 
quite a few books um, just by switching over to, to audio instead. I have given that a shot, yeah. So I, I do input a lot of information from audio books and podcasts on like when I was taking flights anyway. Um, but there's also this other really good app called Blinkist and Blinkist. it uh, just gives you sort of the cliff notes of a book. So pretty much um, if you're like, oh, I want to read this book, say the same one I was mentioning earlier by Stephen Pinker that I forget the name of, mm -hmm. um, it'll just give you like, you know, somebody at Blinkist has like already read the whole book and just like taken cliff notes of it. And it's just, the, just like, you know, uh, it takes you like 15 minutes to read a, an entire book. Interesting. I, yeah, I've never heard of that before. Um, but uh, you've you've used that a few times. Yeah, so I'm subscribed to it. It costs a hundred bucks a year to subscribe to, but I probably read Ooh. like you know, five or six books a month out of it. Um, okay. And yeah, it's good good for just like learning random little bits of information. And then there's some that aren't on there, so I just buy the book and start reading it. And then there's some books I've found that are actually just like sort of interesting to read because like the writing is enjoyable as well like for instance i'm reading one right now called the disaster artist which is about tommy wiseau the guy who made the room. oh my god yeah. <laughs> dude he so he he wears two <laughs> two belts one of them is to keep up his jeans and the other one is to keep up his ass <laughs> what yeah he's the weirdest fucking guy and and that, that actually is, is that true he, oh yeah i mean that's what it says in the book that's that, that was his reasoning for why he wears two belts <laughs> But yeah, anyway, I mean, I guess like um, certain books like that, right? They're just fun to read because they're enjoyable, like they're written well and the information mm -hmm. is funny and stuff like that. For sure. My buddy, um, my buddy has been reading Don Quixote and um, apparently that's pretty damn hilarious. And it's it's old as hell. I think it was written in like the 1600s or something. Um, and it's a pretty revolutionary book, apparently. And it's also got some pretty hilarious little bits of humor in there but if you if you have um do you know do you know someone named uh yuval noah harari by any chance yeah he wrote sapiens and uh yeah something else yeah did you um uh, i was just gonna recommend a book to you if you hadn't read it before but it's by him and it's called um homo deus okay um, yeah so I've, i think i have both of them in audiobook format i just need to listen to them oh yeah dude i think um by the time you get to the end of Homo Deus, it feels like you're listening to like a sci-fi uh, a, a story or, or something. It's pretty pretty amazing because I guess a good chunk of it is conjecture and stuff, and he's just kind of interpreting like events and um, developments and 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 things to make uh, conjectures of what could happen in the future. But it's pretty it's really fascinating. I thought maybe you might be interested in checking that out. Yeah, I'll give it a shot for sure. I'm always interested in checking new books out that people suggest to me for sure. You got anything that uh, you'd recommend to me? Um, I mean, The Disaster Artist for sure. If you're into like reading <laughs> just something that's funny. Definitely. I would I would highly recommend it. I haven't finished it. I'm like maybe halfway through it, but yeah, it's hilarious for sure. Do you, Have you watched The Room? Dude, yeah. Well, one of my all-time favorite movies of all time. It's incredible. Okay, you should definitely read this book because it's um, so it's written from the perspective of Mark. So the the other yeah. main actor in the book, right? Mm -hmm. And this guy Mark, he moved to LA originally because he wanted to be like a he wanted to get more into acting, right? So he went to acting school, which is where he met Tommy, and then <laughs> and it's basically he became like Tommy's best friend, I guess. Mm -hmm. And Mark was just in this like weird position where he didn't have a lot of money, and Tommy just for some reason had a shitload of money, um, and no one knows where he got it. It's like he just he just came from like questionable money, um, and 
yeah, it's just all told, told from this perspective of Mark, who's who's like this super reasonable, level-headed guy who's just in like a shitty position trying to make it as an actor who somehow got stuck as Tommy's best friend IRL. And mm-hmm. he's just like explaining what a crazy fucking person Tommy Wiseau is. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, yeah, that's a... It's a legendary movie. I actually, I'm gonna try to get my mom to watch it uh, pretty soon. Um, so there was like, you know, all of the scenes where um, they're on like a rooftop in San Francisco, but the mm-hmm. the, the San Francisco skyline is like green screened. <laughs> yeah. So actually, Tommy owns buildings in San Francisco that have, like, they could have just shot on there, but instead he like didn't tell anybody who was making the film that he he owned buildings in San Francisco that they could shoot on. So that's why it's green screened. And they wow. were all just like, you're an idiot. Why didn't you tell us that you just own these buildings and we could have just done it there? And it would have looked like way better. And I, I mean, that's just Tommy for you, I guess. Um, just a bizarre specimen. Yeah, he's an insane person. So he actually was my girlfriend's landlord for a while. Um, what? Yeah, so my girlfriend uh, lives no in San Francisco, and, and yeah, he was her <laughs> landlord. And he, every Dude. time she would like email him about like some issue about the house, he would uh, CC his uh, his assistant John, but it was clearly just still Tommy because it had like all the same spelling and grammar mistakes and stuff like oh that. Oh my god! And he would always um, refer to coronavirus as coronaries. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's wow. Just an insane human being who just like i don't know like he's just the most questionable dude and this book just like it doesn't really like answer any questions it just like makes (laughs) makes him way more questionable (laughs) Uh, yeah well definitely i added that to my watch list while we're just talking about it because uh um i need some more lighthearted stuff in my library yeah it's a real good one heck yeah oh man well that's probably a good place to wrap i would say unless you have anything that you want to talk about no man um it was fun chatting uh thanks for thanks for having me of course man yeah i appreciate you coming on again and um yeah it's always always a pleasure to chat with you yeah it's been a while but um hopefully our 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 paths uh cross in person sometime i know um once it's safe to travel again i'll probably be out in la and i know that actually i think i may have even hit you up when i was going out to LA to see if we could do a session together and then was right, our yeah. schedules our schedules didn't end up aligning but um, I think inevitably I'm going to do that again so hopefully we can do something in LA or San Fran or something. Dude that'd be great I'd love to do a session with you for sure. Hell yeah Cool man alright thanks a lot Alright dude take care Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded twice a week by Robert Fumo of 303podpro.com. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.